I'm Tony Bruno. I'm here with a legend of the Manosphere. He's an author of four books. He's a professional dating coach in the United States and internationally. He's been long known in the Manosphere as the godfather of direct verbal game. I'm talking about Alan Roger Curry, the author of Mode One, Let Women Know What You're Really Thinking. And he's with me today. How you doing today, sir? Oh, I'm doing real well, Tony. Thank you for having me. Good, good. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're here. Now, the first thing I wanted to talk to you about is I attended the 21 convention in 2018 as an attendee, and I thought your speech was brilliant. Now, my brother had put up a video of you, and he had said it's the absolute best dating advice book for men he had read. So, and that book is Mode One. So talk to me about Mode One Behavior and when did you publish your first book? I published my first ebook edition of Mode One, Let the Women Know What You're Really Thinking in May of 1999. And that, wow. it, the back, quick backstory is it was a long time coming because I have an older brother named Steven. He's about two and a half years older than me. And I started using what I now call mode one behavior way back when I was in college. And uh, it was actually starting with summer of 1984. And uh, my brother saw some of the amazing results I got from it. And way back in 1986 was when he first, it was summer of 86 when he first encouraged me to put it down on paper. And at the time I kind of blew him off like, man, I'm not putting this on paper. And literally, he just kept being persistent. And then finally, in 1995, I kind of started putting all my thoughts on paper in the form of like a, like a pamphlet, like a 25, 30-page pamphlet. And my brother gave it to some guys who were working for him in San Diego, and they started benefiting him. The advice I put in this like pamphlet started benefiting him. Anyway, then I turned it into an ebook. And made it available on the internet in May of 1999. And essentially, Mo One is just a simple code word for confident, upfront, specific, straightforward honesty. Yeah. Okay, cool. Now, now explain mode one in a little more detail. So there is mode one, mode two, mode three, mode four. Yeah, there, I have four modes. Of, I call them the four modes of verbal communication. That's what I highlight. That's what my first book is all about. And basically, I just got to a point where I realized that when it came to how I verbally communicate things to women and the men who were friends and acquaintances of mine, I found that I could just generally divide it into four categories. So mode two would be when your verbal communication style is very polite, well-mannered, cautious, sometimes overly cautious, very flattering and entertaining, and very vague and ambiguous. Mm -hmm. So that would be the general char characteristics of a mode two verbal communication style. A, ver a mode three verbal communication style would be when you, you communicate, you either, number one, don't communicate at all. You're kind of, for lack of a better term, a verbal coward. 
Like you might have certain desires, interests, and intentions you want to express to people, and particularly women, but you're just scared to. You're scared of being rejected, and you just you're scared of not having your desires, interests, and intentions reciprocated. So you either keep them to yourself indefinitely, which again would make you a verbal coward, or you become blatantly dishonest, blatantly disingenuous, slash insincere, slash phony, and you tend to be very misleading and manipulative in your behavior with people in general and particularly with women. So that would be mode three. Mode four is almost, I, I like to call mode four the evil twin of mode one. It's similar to mode one in the sense that you're about upfront, direct, very verbally direct type honesty, but it has connotations of anger, bitterness, resentment. Like a guy who would be mode four would be like a guy who, say, had his heart broken by a number of women or feels like he's been unfairly rejected by a number of women or gotten frequently manipulated by a lot of women. So he kind of takes the negative attitude of, oh, all you women are bitches. All you women are scandalous whores and gold diggers. And you could say his straightforward honesty is born of anger. It's not coming from a place of, say, confidence and courage. It's more so coming from a place of anger and bitterness. And then again, mode one is just when you just are unapologetically honest with people about what you want from them, what you want from them or why you want to interact with them. You don't try to mislead or bullshit people about simply why you want to interact with them. So, for example, a woman... If you're in the company of a woman that you're attracted to and you know you want to have sex with her, you wouldn't try to hide that. You wouldn't try to lie about that. You wouldn't try to bullshit about that. And one way or another, you would let her know that, hey, the reason I'm talking to you is because I want to have sex with you. Mm-hmm. Now, when, when it comes to the mode one, mode two, mode three, mode four, now, like you said, when you're communicating with a woman, and I think you touched on this in the 2018 speech at 21, was that there's different ways you can communicate that to a woman. Some women you can probably say be, be extremely, and I think you call that, is that mode one hardcore? Yeah, you gotta remember. yeah, I actually have three versions, technically four, but for the most part, three versions, variations of mode one that, are my, that basically depend on what language you want to use. I'll start from most explicit to least explicit. My most explicit version is what I call Mo One Hardcore. I actually wrote an ebook called Mo One Hardcore. And speaking of that, on a quick side note, there's a lot of guys who tend to assume that Mo One Hardcore is the only variation of Mo One that I use with women, and that's not true. And I have to, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna agree with you on that. I'm gonna agree with you on that because I think when guys automatically think mode one because that was kind of my impression and then when you said that there was different ways to basically how to communicate with a woman and let her know that that's what you want so go, yeah go ahead and explain it more for sure yeah yeah so okay so, so let's start with the objective you want to engage in one or more episodes of say short-term non-monogamous casual sex with a woman say that's the objective so 
more one hardcore would be if you've met a woman, let's call her Linda, and within the first few seconds after you initiate a conversation with Linda, you might say something like, hey, you know, Linda, I got to tell you, you are an attractive, sexy woman, and I want to slide my hard dick all in your pussy and fuck the shit out of you. And, of course, she might say, what? What did you just say? I can't believe you said that. And you hold your gun. You don't, you don't like, back from and say, oh, I didn't mean to offend you. Oh, I didn't mean to be too, you know. You 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 maintain your frame. You like you heard what I said. I want to put my hard dick in your pussy, and I want to fuck the shit out of you. So if you go that route, using a high degree of profanity, you know, X-rated, triple X-rated type explicit language, I refer to that as Mo One Hardcore. Then the next level down would be what simply what I call regular or default Mo One. Using the same scenario, if I was using regular mode one, I would start off using tame language. So I might say, Linda, how you doing? My name is Alan Roger Curry. Pleasure to meet you. Hey, let me just, you know, get to the point. I think you're attractive. I think you're very sexually appealing. And I would love for you to share my company one-on-one -on -one at some point within the next, say, week or two. What's your thoughts on that? And then you kind of play off of her response to that initial approach. So your first thing you would do with a, a regular or conventional mo one approach is you would invite a woman to share your company. And I always like to emphasize that, that specific phrase, one-on-one. -on -one. Because sometimes I find if you just say, hey, would you like to share my company? Someone will suggest, well, I got two girlfriends, and maybe me and my two girlfriends can hook up with you. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, no, 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 no. I don't do no group dates and group hookups, you know, unless it's, you know, going to be group sex. But uh, so I always say one-on-one. -on -one. I say, when would you like to share my company one-on-one? -on -one? Or I would like for you to share my company one-on-one -on -one at some point in the near future. And then usually one of two to three things is going to happen. If a woman is not interested in you, just flat out not interested in you, what I call a rejector, she's just going to simply say that. She's going to say something like, oh, I'm sorry, I'm married. Or... I'm sorry, I, I'm engaged to be married, or I have a long-term boyfriend, or it might be just simply, I'm not interested. And at that point, you would just leave her alone. When you can usually tell when a woman is interested, is she's either going to make comments and or ask you questions. Make comments and or ask. So usually when I use that default approach, a woman might say, do you start all conversations with women like this? Is this how you approach all women? Once a woman starts asking me questions like that, I'll say to myself, okay, She's at least halfway interested because she's asking me now, questions. Now, now, now in your speech, you, you had mentioned that. Like if she's not basically engaging with you, if she just pulls back. But if you do say that and she's still engaging, even though she's telling you, oh, no, I'm not going to do that. That which you, I, that I'm sure that was from your 2008 speech. So, so even if they're, if they still talking to you, then that's good. Yep, exactly. that's always. Even if you're in the midst of a woman criticizing you, so I don't know. I think you're aware of this, but if, in case you're not, Tony, there's five archetypes of women I talk about mm -hmm. just about all of my books, and that would be reciprocators, rejectors, wholesome pretenders, 
erotic hypocrites, and manipulative time wasters. Your most mm-hmm. straightforward women are your reciprocators and rejectors. A reciprocator, if she finds you attractive and sexually appealing, she's going to let you know that. She's not going to try to hide it, deny it. As soon as you express interest in her, she's going to say, I'm interested in you. Similarly, a rejector, she's not going to try to play games with you or bullshit you about her lack of interest. If you invite a woman who's a rejector to share your company, she's going to very quickly and straightforwardly tell you, I'm not interested, or I'm already in a relationship, or I'm already married. The three trickier types of women is your wholesome pretenders, your erotic hypocrites, and your manipulative time wasters. And to give the quick gist of each one, a wholesome pretender is a woman that behind closed doors, 90% of the time she's down to engage in one or more episodes of short-term non-monogamous casual sex. But she's very paranoid and self-conscious about being slut-shamed. She's very Mm -hmm. conscious of her public image and her social reputation. So once you propose casual sex to a wholesome pretender, she's going to initially resist. She's not going to reject, per se, but she's going to resist. Because the main thing with her, she's going to want to find out, are you a man who's private and confidential and discreet? private, confidential, and discreet, and are you a non-judgmental type guy? If, if, if you pass her test in those two categories, typically she's going to go ahead and sleep with you, but she's always going to give you some initial resistance. Similar to her, but a little different, is the erotic hypocrite. The erotic hypocrite, she's similar to the host of pretender, but the main difference is she's more pretentious, She's more materialistic. Matter of fact, she's usually highly materialistic and status-oriented, and she's very argumentative and antagonistic. She's going to, what's known among most men in the manosphere, as shit-test you. Mm -hmm. The erotic hypocrite is going to shit-test you. Because and where that comes from, we always, you know, talk about guys being alpha or beta. That relates to the erotic hypocrite. She wants to know, are you a true, genuine, legitimate alpha male? And why that's important to her is because most women like her, erotic hypocrite types, they feel like if you're a beta male, I'm not going to give you any sex for free. That's that, that general attitude of an erotic hypocrite. If she feels like you're a beta, an easy to manipulate beta male, her attitude is going to be like, you got to pay for this. Mm-hmm. You had at minimum, you're gonna have to take me out to a five-star restaurant three, four, five weeks in a row before I have sex with you. You gotta, you know, offer to pay some of my bills, you gotta buy me some materialistic gifts. You gotta do something financially beneficial for me before I agree to have sex with you. Whereas if she feels like you're an alpha male with a high degree of confidence, self-assurance, self-esteem, and backbone, then that's when she's gonna go ahead and eventually say, okay. I'm going to go ahead and have sex with you for free. You ain't got to do all the stuff that I would have a beta male do. So she's going to give you a bunch of shit. And going back to our original point, what you brought up, erotic hypocrites, a lot of times men make the mistake of confusing them and conflating them with a rejector. Like once erotic hypocrites start criticizing them and insulting them, they're saying, oh, okay, this one must not be interested. 
because she's criticizing me and assaulting me. No, 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 no. She's shit testing you. And you got to be able to withstand that. You can't let her criticisms and insults. And, and the biggest thing that you got to maintain in your mind is what you already alluded to is you got to say to yourself, she's still talking to me. Mm-hmm. She hasn't ended the conversation. She might be saying a bunch of negative comments towards me, like, you know, you're an asshole and you're a jerk and all that kind of stuff. But the fact of the matter is, she's still talking to me. That's what I always say to myself when I know I'm in the company of a erotic hypocrite. I always just say, she's still talking to me. And then finally, of the five, is the manipulative time waster. She's pretty much just the opposite of the wholesome pretender and erotic hypocrite. The wholesome pretender and erotic hypocrite, deep down, they are interested in sharing your company sexually, but they want to kind of give you the misleading impression that they're not. Whereas a manipulative time waster <laughs> is a woman who's not interested in sharing your company in a romantic manner or a strictly sexual manner, but she wants to give you the misleading impression that she is. And the main reason why is because she wants to either do one of two things, if not both. She wants to either exploit you for your non-sexual time, attention, and companionship, your non-sexual time, attention, and companionship, and or she wants to exploit you for your financial resources and material possessions. She wants to do one of those two, if not both. And then what happens if once she has exploited you for one of those two things, if not both, for a number of days, weeks, or months, then she's just going to discard you. When she has no more use to you, this is going to discard you. And this relates to one of the reasons why I'm more one is because of the five archetypes, I want to identify time wasters the quickest. If I had a priority list of who, which of those five archetypes I want to identify the quickest, it's the manipulative time waster because they can fool you with entertaining conversation. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Now, your philosophy, too, it... Um... I guess it was inspired by a, 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 a porn movie from 1980. It was Talk Dirty to Me. I have never seen that movie. So tell me how that movie inspired you to basically develop Mode One. Well, it's funny. I don't know if you can see over my right shoulder, but I actually have the poster from that movie on my wall. But um, yeah, I actually just covered this in a... A couple of videos I did just this this week, actually. But yeah, the summer after I graduated from high school, which was, I graduated from high school in 1981. And uh, a couple months after I graduated, it was July of 1981. My brother and I were visiting some friends of the family. And uh, matter of fact, he lives in Florida. And his parents were real tight with my parents. And we would go over to their house all the time. And anyway... The parents had left to do something. They left us there. And this friend, he loved to show porno movies and crack jokes about it, which is another story for another day. You're not going to meet too many guys who want to do that. But he he, mm-hmm. found, he always liked to find, like, comedy in porno movies. So anyway, he put in this porn movie, and this is when VHS was first coming around. And he put in this VHS tape of this porn movie called Talk Dirty to Me. And it basically centers around this this prolific womanizer named Jack, played by this legendary porn actor named John Leslie. And Jack 
he would just go up to women. Basically, in a nutshell, he was Mo One. More specifically, Mo One Hardcore. Oh, mm-hmm. I forgot to add my third version of Mo One, but I'll get to it. I, I told you about three very I stopped at two, but I'll get to it. But anyway, John Leslie's character, Jack, was Mo One Hardcore. He would meet women, and within the first three to five minutes, he would basically let them know, I want to fuck the shit out of you. And when I saw that movie, I was just like, <laughs> I like, because I had never, number one, I had never seen anybody in real life display that type of behavior. And even other fictional characters in movies, like, at that time, I want to say the most smooth, seductive male character I'd seen in a movie would probably be Sean Connery as James yep. Bond. And he was fairly straightforward in his own way. But even Sean Connery as James Bond wasn't on Jack's level. I mean, Jack, again, within the first two, three, four minutes of, of his conversations with women, he would let them know, I want to fuck the shit out of you. And what, mm-hmm. ha- what would usually happen is they would initially give him resistance. What I was talking about with wholesome tenders and erotic hypocrites, they would usually start off having some type of adverse reaction to him. But then they would ultimately always give in. And my brother saw me kind of taking mental notes. And I remember he told me at the time, he said, bruh, that won't work in real life. He said, if you try that approach in real life, a woman's either going to slap the shit out of you or at minimum, she's going to curse you out and, and just walk away from it. He's like, please don't. So I kind of at the time, again, that was July 1981. I kind of said, oh, okay. Yeah, you're probably right. Then I ended up seeing a sequel to it called Talk Days to me part two in October of 1983. And then finally that next summer, I had an experience that I chronicle in my book called Who Say It Again? I have six verbal seduction stories in there that I chronicle. And the, the matter of fact, the first time I was at uh, the 21 convention in 2017, at least one third of my presentation was about verbal seduction story number one. From that was the very first time I used Mo One behavior in real life. But yeah, it was inspired by Talk Dirty to me. In a nutshell, the biggest thing I picked up in uh, Talk Dirty to me is related to those two archetypes of the wholesome pretender and erotic hypocrite. Before I saw that movie, I used to take all of women's reactions on face value. So say mm-hmm. if you said something sexually provocative to a woman and let's say the woman acted like you you were turning her off or being disrespectful and socially inappropriate, I would take that on face value and be like, okay, yeah, I must have, you know, I must have fucked up. I must have said something, you know, uh, rude and offensive. But what I learned from Talk Dirty to Me and Talk Dirty to Me Part 2 is that a lot of women put on facades. They have their public facades. Not to say that men don't. A lot of us men, we have public facades. But then we have our more private, real selves. And what I start realizing, again, first from watching those movies and then from my own real life experiences, is that there's a lot of women I've had interactions with that initially had an adverse reaction to things I said to them that were real sexually provocative and sexually explicit, only to later on end up in bed with me. And they would admit, like, I would ask a lot of these women. I would say, okay, you know, let's say I was in bed with a woman named Danielle. I would say, hey, Danielle, why is it that you're laying in bed with me right now, but when I first told you I wanted to fuck you, you, like, kind of went off on me and acted like this very prudish bitch? 
And they would tell me. They would say, well, Alan, you got to understand, us women, we're socialized to always present ourselves as the prudish, strictly monogamy-oriented good girl. That's what our mothers tell us to do. That's what our fathers tell us to do. So we always try to play into that, the prudish, monogamy-oriented good girl persona. But deep down, we want to fuck just as much, if not more, than you guys want to fuck. Kind, kind of like that. I think it was an old song that said, a lady in the streets and a freak in the bedroom. <laughs> there you go. That, that hit it on the head. Yeah, exactly. That's how yeah. most women are. I, I, the formal term for that is sexually duplicitous. That's what a sexually duplicitous woman is. Now, that's in your, that is, say it again, your second book. For anybody who doesn't know it, but who say it again, is Mastering the Fine Art of Verbal Seduction and Kinky Erotic Dirty Talk. So that's your second book, if I'm correct? Yeah, yeah, I published that. It, well, kind of yes and no. Well, I'll say this. Paperback-wise, I actually came out with a book called Upfront and Straightforward, Let the Manipulative Game Players Know What You're Really Thinking in 2009. So technically, Upfront and Straightforward is my second book, definitely my second paperback. But if you're evaluating in terms of audiobooks, who said again, is my third paperback, but it's my second audiobook. Because for audiobook okay. purposes, what I did, I combined Mo One and Upfront and Straightforward like into one audiobook, which is Mo One. So not to be confusing, okay. but yeah. But uh yeah, gen- I would say generally speaking, yes. Who said again is my second, my second book. Okay. And um critics say that it's kind of risky to actually in other words use kinky erotic dirty talk to a woman so what do you got to say about that yeah i hear that all the time both from general guy guys in the manosphere as well as either rival dating coaches and conventional puas a lot of guys believe you just can't use sexually provocative language or x-rated or triple x-rated explicit language with women and that's just simply not 100% true. Now, is there some validity to it yet? Well, this will take me back to when you asked me about different variations, and I didn't finish theirs. Again, Mo One Hardcore, regular Mo One, and then I have a third version. This was created by my brother called Mo 1.5. And again, the difference here's a simple difference. Mo One Hardcore is when you start off being profane and explicit. Regular mall one is when you start off with tame language, what I call PG language, and over a period of minutes, say 5, 10, 15 minutes, you slowly escalate to using more provocative and, and explicit language. And mall 1.5 is when you don't use any profanity or any sexually explicit language at all. So number one clarification, you don't have to use profanity or sexually explicit language in order to be more one. You mm-hmm. don't have to. Now, it is highly effective with a lot of women. I'll be honest, more one hardcore can lead to some amazing seductions, but you don't have to. A lot of women, most of the women I've interacted with in my life, they they got highly turned on when I was very explicit. Mm-hmm. So 
for these guys who say, no, all women will get turned off, no. Here's an obvious thing. If a woman is not attracted to you, if a woman doesn't find you to one degree or another physically attractive or sexually appealing, then honestly, anything you say to her is going to be a potential turnoff, particularly mm-hmm. that has to do with sex. And so, now that's yeah, another that's another word which which would be called, from what I see, is called like choosing signals. Yeah. So if a woman's not sent, if you're getting those choosing signals, I guess is kind of what you're saying. But also too, there was a key word that you said here just a minute ago was escalate. And I think a lot of men will probably stop escalating if they get any kind of re- But what you have said, if they're still standing there, you're really not getting rejected if they're still talking to you. So how do you tell a guy to keep escalating if they're still talking to you? Yeah, you just, what you want to do See, women, I don't want to get too long went into academic and detail, but one of the things I talk about in my book, Who Said Again, women are in heavily influenced by what I refer to as their social programming and their cultural conditioning. Mm-hmm. Their social programming and cultural conditioning. That's what leads to what's known as women's sexual sensibilities. So in other words, some women have very prudish oriented sexual sensibilities. And in simple terms, some women, it's not that women are turned off by, say, explicit talk, explicit sex talk, but they've been conditioned to believe that they're supposed to be turned off by that. Mm -hmm. And see, that's why a lot of women will say, criticize you, but not in the conversation. Because what I explain in more detail in the book, I'll give a simplified version. This is what happens. Let's say you're talking to a wholesome pretender or an erotic hypocrite, and you said something really sexually explicit to her. She'll have what I like to figuratively call the angel on the right shoulder and her little devil Mm -hmm. on the left shoulder. And the angel, which represents her prudish good girl side, will say, hey, Lisa, don't you dare respond to Tony. Don't you dare, because he's going to think of you as a slut. And he's going to tell all his friends that you're a slut. You better not respond to that sex talk. You better tell him that you're offended and you're insulted and that he's totally being a socially inappropriate jerk. You better tell him that. But then the little devil side, which represents her biological impulses and her raw sexual desires, will say, girl, what Tony's talking about is turning me on. You go ahead and give him. You you open them legs for Tony. You go ahead and give it to him because he talking some good shit. I like this guy. I want to give it to him. And so you can say, frequently speaking, it becomes this battle. It's like the good girl side is saying, don't, don't give in to Tony. And the naughty girl side is saying, give in to Tony. And how that plays out in real time is that a woman will go off on you and say, oh, Tony, I can't believe you said that to me. What do you think I am, a whore, a slut? Oh, my God, I can't believe you're talking to me like this. And that's because there's this fight going on in her head between the good girl and the naughty girl. And where seduction comes in, in overly simplistic terms, is you need to have the skills to persuade her to listen to this voice Mm -hmm. and ignore this voice. Because if you don't successfully do that and she gives in to the good girl voice, then she's going to ultimately end up rejecting you and not sleeping with you. So so, so you're... 
really not manipulating her. You're just, you're really talking to her biological needs. There you go. I'm glad you said that, Tony. Kudos to you. Because mm -hmm. let me, I just mm -hmm. got into a debate with someone on YouTube where he said, Alan, you've always prided yourself as being this non-manipulative type dating coach. But I think, you know, just the fact that you seduce women, seduction, he said seduction is inherently manipulative. I don't manipulate women. For example, I don't give a woman the misleading impression that I want a long-term, emotionally profound, strictly monogamous relationship when I know I just want short-term non-monogamous sex. I never do that. That would be probably the most general example of a man manipulating a woman. I don't mislead or manipulate women or lie to them. I just, as you put it, I talk to, I use my conversation skills in such a way that I want to resonate with a woman's naughty girl side rather than her prudish good girl side. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. You know. God, yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I, I totally understand that. I mean, that, that makes so much sense. There's no manipulation. You're just speaking to the side of her that is a biological, a bi biological thing in all of us, man or woman. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Now you have another book called the beta male revolution and these terms, alpha and beta, heck alpha, beta, gamma, uh, what other <laughs> archetypes are there? Yeah. I mean, sigmas, uh, I mean, there's just, you know, so talk to me about that book and basically what motivated you to write a book like that. And that was the last, very last book I published as an ebook, um, paperback, and audiobook. And there was a few motivations. I'd say the most foremost motivation for writing that book was I was hearing a lot of guys complain about the modern day dating scene. And along with that, I don't know if you. You've probably heard this concept uh, about what's known as the 80-20 rule theory. Mm -hmm. And so the combination of just guys complaining about the modern day dating scene and secondly, guys talking about the 80-20 rule theory, I wanted to write a book that in part briefly explained how we got to this point. And so what I start off the book doing is taking us back to the, the 1960s. What I basically propose and assert in that book is that the reason why the modern day dating scene is so far different than, say, the 1930s, 1940s, 1950s is because prior to the 1960s, all dating pretty much centered around finding your husband or finding your wife. That was pretty much the mm -hmm. essence of all dating, is you meet somebody who you're going to ultimately marry. And then what happened, that period between roughly 1960 and 1974 changed everything. And without getting too long-winded and detailed, essentially what happened was, well, I'll give a few highlights of that period. The first thing that happened was the introduction of the birth, birth control pill. Then you had what's known as the second wave of feminism. Then you have what's known as the free love movement slash sexual revolution. And then the fourth major thing that happened was the uh, legalization of abortion. 
And the end result of those four primary factors was that women became far more comfortable having sex with men both before marriage and just generally outside the context of marriage. And what that ultimately led to was kind of two things concurrently that happened. Among men, you could say the delineation between men began to separate between alpha males and beta males. At first, you could say it was like this. But then by the mid to late 70s, it was like this. With women, it went almost just the opposite. With women before that period between 1960 and 1974, the delineation between the good girls and the promiscuous sluts was like this. Then their gap closed. Mm -hmm. And so women start looking at, they start being able to compartmentalize guys. And then that shows what happened. A lot of women start basically saying, I don't have to look for the total package anymore. I can look for one guy that's just really, really good in bed. I can look for another guy who just has really good, funny sense of humor and great conversation. I can look for another guy who's just financially generous and going always be willing to help me with my bills and so on and so on. And so that's kind of where the alpha beta dynamic, basically in a nutshell, how I define an alpha male is a guy that has it going on with the combination of his looks, his confidence and masculinity, his sense of dominance to the point where, and, and I would say, if I had one more thing, seductive charm that women are likely to sleep with him even if he doesn't promise them commitment, long-term commitment, and even if he doesn't offer to be, you know, super financially generous with them. That's, that's, that's what I generally define as an alpha male. Whereas a beta male is a guy who's lacking in one or more areas that I described for the alpha male. Either he might be severely lacking in the looks department, in terms of the combination of confidence and masculinity he's lacking, in terms of seductive charm he's lacking, and he's more than willing to pay women money for their sexual companionship, big money. And mm -hmm. so women, when it comes to beta males, I was talking about this a little bit earlier, I touched on it. See, the main difference is when a woman feels like she's in the company of beta male, her attitude is going to be like, I'm not having sex with him for free. He's mm -hmm. never going to get sex for me for free. He's going to have to pay me either literally like, like say, mm -hmm. like a trick, the exchange between a trick and a, and a prostitute, direct cash or indirectly, meaning like, you know, expose me to a higher quality of life and pay my bills and stuff. Whereas the alpha males are the guys that a woman will say, OK, I'll have casual sex with him for free. Again, he, he doesn't have to promise me any type of long term commitment. He doesn't have to. Uh, pay any of my bills. I just think he's just this very charming, seductive, highly masculine man. And I, I'm naturally motivated to be feminine and submissive in his company. And so you've had this major delineation. Again, it started with the late 60s, early 70s. And what has happened, one of the reasons I wrote that book is because starting with the internet, a lot of men became more cognizant of the fact that they were not the alpha male, but they were more so in the beta male category. 
It's like you have a lot of guys frustrated, like, why am I not getting the same attention as that guy over there? You know, that guy over there, for example, that guy over there, he doesn't have to take women out on three, four, five dates. And he still was able to sleep with Cindy, just like within a tough couple hours after he met her. Whereas with me, I took Cindy out on four or five dates and I still didn't end up in bed with her. Mm-hmm. What's the deal? And what happened was guys start sharing information and making guys, including myself, that help guys realize, okay, it's because the women I've been dealing with look at me as a beta male. And so where the revolution comes into play is that a lot of beta males start saying, hey, I'm not going to be a woman's second choice anymore. Or I'm not going to be the guy that a woman just exploits for my financial resources and material possessions or exploits me just for my flattering and entertaining conversation. I'm not willing to be that guy anymore. I'm going to demand that, hey, if you're not going to give me the type of sex that you give the, the, the chads of the world, then fuck it. I'm going to ignore you. I'm going to go my own way. Hit, hit, big tough. I'm going to go my own way. I want, I want to ask you a question, a specific question. And I had asked this on a on a big cast. I'm not sure. Are you familiar with today? Are you familiar with Vox at all by any chance? Vox is a, a kind of like a philosopher. Well, I'd asked him this question. I've asked other people this question. And specifically, I want to ask you because I've got different opinions. Can a man call himself alpha? Can, can you, a man call himself alpha? Yeah. Well, there were, can I say I'm Tony? I'm an alpha. I think this is my opinion. I think that it's the way other men perceive you or women perceive you. I don't think that you can say I'm an alpha. I think it's people will look at you an alpha. I don't think you can. Do you understand what I'm saying? I totally you understand. You can't physically say I'm an alpha. Well, here's the thing. You're touching on something that actually has inspired a lot of heated debates within various factions of the manosphere because speaking of those two options you presented, there's a lot of men who argue that fuck what women think. I only think you could be an alpha male if other men perceive you as alpha. Mm -hmm. I think that's the ultimate of what determines whether you're alpha is that if other men who observe you and interact with you and, you know, they're the ones who will ultimately decide if you have it. Then there's other guys, and I'm probably more so in the second category, is all about what how women perceive you. The yeah. women who you interact with, how they perceive you. And so there, there's kind of been this argument back. Yeah, I would say between the two, I'm more so, well, I'll, I kind of say it depends on what aspect of life you're talking about. Like, for mm-hmm. example, and I, I think if you remember my presentation in 2018, I kind of touched on this. I, I basically, at one point in my presentation, I said, you can be an alpha in one aspect of your life, but be beta. Like I said, I've known guys who were tall, muscular, could had great hand-to-hand combat skills. And if you were to ask most men, is this guy alpha? They would say, yeah, that guy's alpha. But I've seen a lot of those same type of guys when they're in the company of their wife, fiance, or girlfriend that mm-hmm. were totally henpicked. The yeah. woman would be like just dominating them. 
And I'll be like, no, that ain't alpha to me. If you're letting your wife, fiance, or long-term girlfriend just talk down to you and condescend to you and just generally browbeat you and dominate you, then when it comes to dealing with women, you're not alpha. Mm-hmm. And some mm-hmm. men have tried to push back on that, but I'm like, that's that's so again, you can be alpha with men in certain like in athletics or business, but specifically as it relates to dealing with women, I would lean towards that second category you presented, which is is ultimately determined by how women perceive you and evaluate you. Yeah, I I kind of I, I agree with you on that but to me in my opinion when a man looks at another man as an alpha he was he looks at him as a leader he looks at him as a leader somebody you look up to somebody you want to inspire to be like you know but i do agree with you yeah and and i'll agree with you on like i have a construction business and i i can't tell you whatever she wants Happy wife, happy life. I've heard that a million times in my business. I'm a, I'm a remodeling contractor. So I look at those guys as like, what, you know, shouldn't you be running the show? You know, but that's just my opinion. You know, shouldn't the man be running the show and talking to me instead? But that, you know, that's I guess everybody kind of has their their different takes on that as far as what's alpha, what's beta and who perceives you as an alpha and a beta. Yeah. And speaking speaking of alphas, um, you recently got married, and I believe you have a son on the way. Is that correct? This is correct. Yeah, I got married on Friday, July seventeenth, and um, and at the time I was married, my wife was already pregnant, and she's due to deliver in mid September, approximately about roughly five weeks from now. She's due to deliver my first child and my first son. So I'm very excited about the prospect of becoming a father oh that's awesome I, I'm, I'm congratulations and i'm happy for you i Thank think you. um you know i know um was it a big deal in the manosphere when you got married oh was yeah. it a, i mean to me i was looked at it, i'm like holy crap you know what she's getting married yeah yeah it, it's funny I, well on the positive end i got a lot of congratulations from a lot oh, of yeah. guys particularly my followers and supporters but I had, it's interesting. I had some guys, though, the, related to the book we were just discussing, The Beta Male Revolution. The subtitle of that book is it's called The Beta Male Revolution, Why Many Men Are Losing Interest in Marriage in Today's Society. Mm-hmm. So a lot of guys, I think, based on that subtitle, were under the impression that that book was some way, in some way, form or fashion, an anti-marriage book. But I've had to clarify the guys. I said, I never said I was anti-marriage, ever. But yeah, when I first announced I was engaged, a lot of guys were coming saying, Alan, I'm sorry, but you're, you're, you're contradicting yourself. You wrote the Beta Male Revolution. That book is totally about uh, anti-marriage. And now you're getting mad. I said, no, it's not. What I do is I, I present an objective view evaluation of the pros and cons of marriage but i never flat out in that book said i'm totally anti-marriage but i do say in that book that for some guys there's some guys that plain and simply should not uh think about marriage particularly Mm -hmm. 
going back to the delineation between alpha males and beta males, I feel like a lot of beta males should not get married because they're going to a lot of times get exploited, particularly financially. They're going to get financially exploited. But for the most part, there's exceptions here and there. But for the most part, I don't see the problem with any guy who's a genuine, legitimate alpha male getting married because he's going to he's going to lead the relationship. He's mm-hmm. going to he's going to set the terms and conditions of that marriage and that his wife is going to follow his lead. So mm-hmm. I don't see the problem with it. Uh, the main reason I'll tell at least one reason I would lean towards marriage is because I always wanted to have children. And mm-hmm. I had told my followers that for like the last 10, 15, 20 years, I I've always wanted children. Like even when I didn't see myself getting married, I always wanted to have children, but they kind of too were kind of interconnected because I never wanted to have a son or daughter and have the biological mother raising that child in a separate household. So at mm-hmm. minimum, I knew if I had children, at minimum, I knew I wanted to cohabitate. And mm-hmm. even more so, I felt like I, you know, I would be open to the possibility of getting married because I've always wanted to raise children in a two-parent household. So mm-hmm. In summation, I would say this. I would say if there's guys in the manosphere saying that all men should get married, they're wrong. And mm-hmm. on the flip side, if there's guys in the manosphere saying no man should get married, they're also wrong. If you're on either extreme, to me, you're wrong. I think marriage benefits some men, again, particularly men who want to raise children, raise a family. But for other men, they're probably better off remaining a confirmed bachelor. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. So, but it's also great that that now this son you're going to raise is going to have a masculine father, which is now going to project into his family. And I think that's what's missing in a lot of lot of families today. So many single mothers and or single father households. Because I be I I believe a kid needs both, you know, and I'm of old school where I had both. I'm lucky, you know, but I don't see that. I mean, you know, the the divorce rate is through the roof and um, I think we're in a disposable society. So anybody that does go ahead and raise their child in a in a in a in a two person male and female household, I think is going to get is going to be well better off. For sure. So I 1000% agree. And again, that's that's one of the things that contributed to me wanting to get married. I, I did not want to have, there I said, I didn't want to have a baby mama, baby daddy scenario. Mm-hmm. I just did not want to have it. And um, I, I wanted, again, I wanted a, my, I want my, my children to be raised in a two parent household. Cause like you, I was raised in a two parent household. And I saw the benefits of having both the masculine energy of my father and the feminine energy of my mother. They both contributed to the man I am today. I think if you took away one or the other, definitely if you took my father out of the household, I would be a totally different dude than I am right now. And and to a slightly lesser extent, if you took my mother's feminine energy out of my upbringing, I would be a different dude. I needed both of those in my life, and my brother has said the same thing to his friends and acquaintances. You, I think children need both the masculine energy and the feminine energy in their household. Mm-hmm. 
I agree. Well, I'll tell you what, let's wrap this up. I want you to give everybody the ways that they can they can get in contact with you. Now, if anybody needs coaching, of course, you have a Patreon and yeah. a coaching he's a you're a professional dating coach. Yeah. So how can people how can people contact you and get a hold of you for coaching advice? Okay, I'm gonna give at least three or four contacts. One email would be coaching at mode1.net. That's M-O-D-E-O-N-E dot net. Coaching at mode1.net. And then uh, number two, all of my books on Amazon.com and specifically my, my four audio books are on the division of Amazon called Audible, audible.com. My main website is called Direct Approach Dating, as one word, directapproachdating.net. No, dot com. I'm sorry, dot com. Directapproachdating.com. Directapproachdating.com. And then finally, I actually do some consultations for couples, both married and unmarried couples who are interested in incorporating elements of BDSM, which okay. is erotic domination, erotic submission, as well as polyamory. And that would be mode1.net forward slash training. Mode1.net forward slash training. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. Well, good. Good. Sounds like you're doing well for yourself. Again, congratulations on your marriage and your upcoming child. I'm happy for you. And I did enjoy this conversation. So I'm Tony Bruno, and I'm going to leave links also for Amazon links for your books in the description down below. So Al, awesome conversation. I appreciate your time. I appreciate your knowledge, and hopefully, again, your son enters this world. Thank you so much, Tony, for having me. I want to just quickly say, man, I love you and your brother. You guys are both very classy gentlemen, very intelligent and articulate, and I can tell you were raised by two quality parents because they produced two quality sons. I appreciate this opportunity to talk to you. Well, I appreciate that, too. Thank you very much. Hey, RC, you have a good day, and I'll talk to you soon. Mm -hmm. Take care. Awesome.